Well, good morning to you. It's uh, good to be gathered on this uh, Lord's Day morning here, the day after Christmas. Uh, Pastor Steve got ill overnight and uh, with a stomach bug, and so is unable to be with us this morning. Um, but uh, so we've changed things up a bit. There was a scripture reading from Luke two that's going to be different because we're going to be in First John chapter three this morning. So take your Bibles and find your way to First John chapter three. This is a fairly common passage to go to. Uh, during the Christmas season. If you're uh, visiting with family, with friends here this Christmas season, and you find yourself with us this morning, we're glad that you've been with us. I know there's much of our church family that's away traveling and uh, engaged with their Christmas uh, season travels and family get-togethers. This morning, we're going to be looking into 1 John 3 with a couple of simple truths that I hope will encourage us Uh, here in this Christmas season. How are you doing? We just finished Christmas. And uh, some of you, are some of you a little bit let down maybe this morning? Um, Isn't it odd here, all the build-up, the anticipation towards Christmas, the decorations, the gift-buying, the list-making, all of those efforts, the family get-togethers have happened, and then here we are back in normal real reality, right? It's like this bubble of Christmas gets popped so quickly and we're crashed back into the ordinary. We greet each other with terms like Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. So everybody is looking for this kind of sense of Christmas cheer, this, this holiday joy, and yet it can be very elusive. The gladness of heart is the hope, the joy, the festivities, even the best of them. Here we are the day after Christmas, and do you feel a little bit of that, ah, now we got to do what? we got to get our schedules going again. The kids go to school when, and all the stuff from work descends, and back we are into the grind. Or maybe Christmas is not a happy time. Maybe there is just a lot of sorrow in your heart because of family tensions or what you wish were different in your life, and it isn't the way that you wished it were, and Christmas just kind of accentuates that disappointment. Or maybe there's the sting of loss that you're reminded of during a holiday season about maybe a loved one that is no longer with you to celebrate Christmas. Christmas is kind of complicated, isn't it? Our world sells kind of a simplified, just be happy, but Christmas is kind of complicated. How are Christians supposed to navigate those, these kinds of tensions? Uh, when the world is giving to us in this Christmas season, right? What are, where are Christians supposed to find true Christmas joy? A joy that is able to overcome these types of frustrations and disappointments and letdowns. Where is true Christmas joy found? Well, if you're you know, any Christian for any length of time, you know that the answer to that is kind of a cliched answer that children just kind of blurt out when they don't know the answer to a, a question in a, in a class. Jesus, right? You just kind of default there, right? Jesus is the reason for the season. We have these little cliche bumper sticker phrases. But what does that really mean? How do we find any sort of enduring power for joy in a Christmas season when you have all of these other realities crashing in on us, these tensions, these frustrations, these disappointments? How can Christmas actually be a source of joy and increase our joy as Christians. So this morning, uh, this sermon is going to do a brief look at just a couple of ideas that we find, spiritual truths that we find in First John 3. 
And uh, this is primarily for Christians. If you're not a Christian and you're gathered here with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we would like to encourage you to listen in uh, because the joy that we're talking about, this Christian, this Christmas joy, is something that you kind of can get the fringes of as a non-Christian. Sure, you can get caught up in some of the festivities, but the true, the kernel, the true source of Christmas joy for Christians is going to elude you if you're not a Christian. But we would love for you to listen in and we would love for you to know the joy that Christians truly can experience. Uh, Christians, this is for us, and we need this. God's word is what brings life to his people. And so it's good for us to give a little bit of time this morning to put our attention uh, into God's word. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at how Christmas shows us that God is working for our eternal joy. God is working for our eternal joy, Okay. Now, 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, these are commonly gone to. We have read them already this Christmas season here in this church family. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he, as God, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So here we learn that the reason, the purpose of, Christ, of Christmas is the appearing, is the coming of Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. Now, that reality, by the way, is not something that you're going to find on, even on popular Christmas advertising. Like Coca-Cola is not selling you Christmas joy based upon 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Okay? So we're all looking for joy, looking for this happiness. The world is offering it to us in all sorts of different ways. The Christian doctrine, the Christian, Christian truth is offering to us in a unique way, and it's the way of Jesus Christ and what he has come to do. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. What are then the works of the devil? Well, to find the answer to that, we can go back to Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to do a quick flyover of the account of what's happening in Genesis just to frame up what, what John the Apostle here means when he writes that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. These are kind of foreign ideas, right? Our world isn't really thinking about the works of the devil as they go through their business in the marketplace here this next week. Christians, we should be. In Genesis chapter 1, we are told the creation account, okay? God is um, giving to us the account of he's creating, he speaks, he creates, and every time he creates something, God summarizes his creation he makes a judgment call on it and says it is good. Over and over again, he does this. Eventually, God then creates humankind. He makes man, calls him Adam. And he breathes into Adam the breath of life. And this includes physical, spiritual, mental, this emotional life of being an image bearer of God. In Genesis chapter 2, God puts humankind into a garden. And it's full of trees that are pleasant to sight. They're good for food. And God says, out of, the gar out of this ground, everything's going to bring, uh, spring to life for your flourishing as humankind. Adam is given broad permission in this garden. You can eat of all these trees in the garden. It's luxurious and abundant for your joy and fulfillment. There's one tree you, sh you, you must not eat from. God then also uh, creates a helper, a Another person for Adam in Eve. Now you have Adam and Eve as humankind. God brings Eve to Adam, and in doing that, God unites Adam and Eve as husband and wife in this first wedding ceremony there in the garden. In Genesis 3, a new character enters the scene, and he is described as the serpent. 
a crafty beast. But as we keep reading, and especially as we read through the rest of the scriptures, we understand that the serpent is not just a reptile. The serpent, there's a great evil at work in and through the serpent. The serpent has an, has an interaction with Eve about what the rules are for life. By the way, don't you ever just pause in your life and kind of wonder what are the rules for life? Where, what can we do? What can't we do? What's going to bring joy? What's not going to bring joy? What should we do for fulfillment? What should we not do? Right? We have lots of those moments. Well, here's a moment like that recorded for us that Eve had. And the serpent is asking her, what basically is your purpose for life? What are the rules that you can live by? And Eve says, God said, we should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither should we touch it because we're going to die. This is Genesis 3. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will discover something that is full of joy and fulfillment and happiness. So then herein lies the great dilemma of faith. Will we believe and trust God, giving him our total allegiance and obedience, or will we defy his rule and replace that with self-rule? That question that Adam and Eve face is the question that we face every day. If I obey God, will I be happy? If I don't obey God, will I be unhappy? or however you want to frame that, it all sorts around our relationship and orientation toward God in regards to fulfillment and happiness. Well, as we keep reading, uh, in Genesis account, we learn that Eve determined the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. The tree was desired to make one wise. And so she made a decision to disobey God, that there is joy and happiness to be found not obeying God in self-rule. She took the, the fruit. Her husband did with her as well. And the results were catastrophic. Adam and Eve were fundamentally changed in their nature, changed toward evil, where they were, had enjoyed shameless trust and enjoyment in relationship with one another and with God. Now they're full of shame and guilt. Now they're hiding from God. Instead of seeing one another as, as their um, uh, imperfect relationship, now they're hiding. Now they're blaming one another. They're throwing accusations. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 describes it this way, that sin entered the world. You say, well, how does this have to do with Christmas? Remember 1 John 3 Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Genesis 3 records some of them for us, and the rest of the scriptures show the effects of that. The works of the devil are sin. What is sin? We've kind of lost this, haven't we, in our modern age. What is sin? Now we have this idea of you just live your life, you live your truth, as long as you're not offending or inflicting harm on someone else, then you just carry on. Friends, that's not Christian at all. Sin is replacing God. Sin is choosing anything over and above God. It's making anything ultimate other than God. And here what we have is sin entering the world and we find that all people share in this orientation now away from God, this sinful nature within us that defies the rule and reign of God and tries to overthrow it with self-rule and self-reign. So then, the Scriptures teach that sin carries dreadful consequences the relationship between Adam and Eve is fundamentally changed. This is the relationships that we see in all of our human relationships, the conflict, the frustration, the, 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 um, the frustration not in just conflict with relationships, but conflict even in our work that was described here for Adam. The serpent is cursed as well. And the curse of the serpent is more than just a conflict between man and beast. 
The curse on the serpent is really a conflict between Satan and humankind, God, his image bearers. And there is also a prophecy that's given in that of where the offspring of the serpent would injure the offspring of humankind, but the offspring of Eve would all fundamentally destroy, would crush the serpent. And we've been looking at that here in this Advent time, this Christmas season here at this church family. So then what? Well, it's likely that for those who are Christians here, that any of this is new, okay? It's kind of a a quick reminder through Genesis 3. But most, if not all of us, have read this account and know it well, yet how much of our daily life is affected by these realities, by a recognition, a mindfulness of this, what I've just blown through in Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In relationship to the Christmas story that the Bible says explicitly that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Do we ever consider what are those works, sin? Do we ever understand and consider then our relationship in all of this and where we fit into this master story that is being recorded for us and explained to us in the Christian scriptures? How does this secure our joy this Christmas? How does this Genesis account put our hope in unchanging God-sized truth. Well, it's simply this. Jesus came to destroy, to destroy sin. 1 John 3, 7 and 8, he came to destroy sin. There's a lot in those two verses, but for the purpose of this sermon, I want us to understand that there's only two groups of people, basically, in the world, according to the Christian doctrine. There are those who know God or those who do not know God personally through the saving faith that is found in Jesus. There are those who are God's children and there are those who are not God's children. And it has everything to do with your relationship towards sin. Do you carry and bear the guilt of your sin before an omniscient, holy God? Or have you been delivered from your burden and guilt of sin through Jesus, the God-man who came to deliver, who was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world? 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. It's probably just a page or two or a screen or two away from where you are right now. It says, If you know that he, that God is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You see, one doesn't grow into Christianity slowly as if you can just kind of be, kind of be mentally convinced of something. The Bible over and over again describes being a Christian as a birth, as being born into it. On the divine side, a person is born by God into his family. This requires a miraculous work of God in his grace. In the human side, we are told over and over again, Christian, or people are told over and over again, to be a Christian, repent and believe the truth of Jesus for you. And God will work the miracle, transforming you back into relationship with himself. But the final phrase of 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, is really where our source, source of joy is. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So think of it this way. The reason Christmas is an endless source of joy for Christians is because Christmas is a celebration of Jesus destroying the works of the devil. You say, well, that just sounds like doctrine. I don't find much joy in that. It sounds dusty and kind of like something you'd find in a book with lots of pages with really small print with a lot of Bible references in it. How does this attach at all to our joy? Well, think about it. Think of, any, think of all of the reasons that are robbing you of joy right now. Think of all of them. Now, I suppose we could become fool, silly in our thinking of, of reasons for you know, not having joy, like your Christmas 
tort didn't turn out right. But apart from the silly, just kind of simple things, think of all the reasons that are truly robbing you of joy, joy. Relational conflict, sorrow over death, you fill in the blank. All of those reasons that rob us of joy, and there are many, right? Those are all consequences of the works of the devil. They are all consequences of sin. All of them. You take any of those reasons that truly are a threat to joy, to fulfillment, to soul satisfaction. They are all a result or consequence. Somehow there's a line that can be traced back. They are a result of the works of the devil of sin. So then Christmas matters a lot because Christmas is a reminder that Jesus came to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. What's the result of the works of the devil? Destruction of our joy. I mean, the Genesis account shows husband and wife in perfect relationship, enjoying a perfect relationship with God. Sin enters, all that's destroyed. It's nuked. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil are what? Joy-destroying works in our life. So then, Jesus did this through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Jesus destroyed sin by dying as a sacrifice to satisfy God's righteous wrath against our sin. All through the human scripture, through, through the scriptures, we find how God is working for our, for our joy. This is the gospel truth of Christianity. So then, Christmas anchors our joy in these unchanging realities. Now, doesn't mean that you can't find joy in opening gifts, in wrapping gifts, in having Christmas traditions, in decorating trees, in lighting up lights, and lighting candles, and you fill in all the blanks of all Christmas sweaters and white elephant gift exchanges and Christmas carols and songs and going to drive and see Christmas lights, all the things that you find joy in the Christmas season that are unique to the season, great. But friends, those are just shadows. Those are just little shadows of the ultimate joy that is ours because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That should give us real encouragement, real hope, real confidence this Christmas season. If our joy is anchored in anything in this world, if it's anchored, okay, if our joy is anchored in anything in this world that sin can destroy, then we don't really have any source of joy. Not truly. Which is why there are so many frustrations in this life because ultimately everything that we experience, everything that we, that we, that we, anything that we enjoy, we always feel like there's this, it's just going to let down. It doesn't fully satisfy. There's always some sort of disappointment. On and on it goes. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So this is very simple. I, I'm going to make all of you happy this morning because we're not, I'm not preaching long. This is, this is what we have this morning, okay? The simple idea. We're going to go home early. I just gave you all joy. <laughs> Here's some practical applications from this, okay? Christmas joy is not ultimately about an earthly gift. I mean, if you had something on your list you didn't get or if you have something that you'd like to get but you can't because of circumstances or whatever else, Right? It's going to be okay. There's a strained relationship. There's a death in your family. On and on it goes. I want you to understand and have, have hope as a Christian. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He's not going to just undo the works of the devil. 
He's destroying them. And as we read in the, in the, in the Scriptures, we understand that, that God is making all things the way they were supposed to be. That, that is the end destination. That's where He's heading. And He's going to bring us into that existence through faith in Jesus. Friends, I hope this gives you a, a resilient hope. Christians are people who sorrow. And Christians are people who have hope get, get hammered regularly. This world is constantly attacking Christian hope. But here's what's unique about Christian hope. It is resilient. Because we have a hope that is anchored in someone who came to destroy the works of the devil. Which means then that our hope is not ultimately found in family get-togethers or vacations or trips. Our hope is not ultimately about the love you receive from a spouse or you'd hope to have from a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Christmas joy is ultimately about sin being destroyed. And there's something very practical then about this. We'll finish here. I'll ask the music team to come up and we'll pray and sing. Christmas then reminds us that we are fools to think, to ever think that sin would bring us joy. We need to be reminded of that. Okay? And really, gathering on the Lord's Day with his people, okay, with, with as being, us being the church, the body of Christ, we're not going to hear that reminder anywhere else other than the body of Christ. We are fools to think that sin would ever, ever be what brings us true joy. If Jesus says that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. And by the way, Jesus also said this, I have spoken to you, these things I have spoken to you, this is in John 15, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, I have spoken that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus has come and he's got a Jesus-sized joy. That's a God-sized joy. And he says, I have come so that my joy would be in you and the result is that your joy would be full. So we are, we are fools to ever think that sin is what would bring us joy. It will never. It doesn't ultimately. And we prove that to ourselves over and over and over again, don't we? Christmas also reminds us this. As we celebrate Christmas, as we look forward to a new year, there are lots of things we could do with this truth, right? Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. Here's just one. And I hope this will encourage us as we look ahead to a new year. Christians, don't stop putting sin to death. The more that we as a body of Christ put sin to death, the more our enjoyment, our joy will grow. So I hope this encourages you that never stop fighting sin. Never stop putting sin to death. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And that means even the work of sin that, that you find in your, in your life, that troubles you, that vexes you, that frustrates and sometimes makes you hopeless. Jesus has come to destroy that. And he is working out that sin-destroying work in you. And I hope this year, as, we celebrate, as we've celebrated Christmas, as we look ahead to a new year, that we will find and, and find assurance and comfort that Jesus came to bring us joy by destroying the works of the devil. So if you're discouraged in your battle against putting sin to death in your life, I hope you will find hope, <laughs> Christmas hope, joy. God is not done. He is. 
He has decisively done that in Jesus and he's working that out in you as his child. And here we are together as a Christian family, banded together as God's bride, as the body of Christ. And what are we doing? Reminding each other of these truths. Adoring and worshiping the one who has done this. Looking forward with hope and confidence in in what is to come. So then, have confidence and hope in your fight against sin. Christmas reminds us of these realities. I'll ask the music team to come forward, get prepared to lead us in in a concluding song. If you are not a Christian, I hope that Christmas has given you a time to just consider the faith that you do live by. Christians aren't the only people that live by faith. Everyone lives by faith. If you're not a Christian, you have some doctrine at the core of your being upon which you are living by and it is based upon faith. It would be our desire, if you are not a Christian, to see the beauty of the faith of Jesus Christ. His full and perfect sacrifice for your sin and his invitation for you to taste and see of his goodness and experience the joy that is only found in being rightly related to God again. That's something you can't do. None of us as Christians in here have done that. All we have done is receive the gift that God has done for us. And that is the true way that you could enter into that joy. Let's pray.